Hi, Nikki. Hi, Owen. Hi, Nicole. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Good. I am going to tell you today. <laughs> um, to hold on. I have to what? say. I want to tell you. I know. <laughs> I want to hear it. But um, just a couple minutes ago, I was thinking um, of the words, tell me a story. And it prompted in my head uh, a song on Hilary Duff's Christmas album. That's like, tell me a story. And I don't remember any of the other words, but I looked it up and it's a song with Hilary Duff and Lil Romeo. Wow. I know. <laughs> so. Wow. Um, Romeo is like Mike, right? Isn't no, that right? That's Lil Bow Wow. It's Lil Bow Wow. Yeah, You're right. Lil Bow wow. You're right. We Romeo. Were about like Mike earlier. Yeah. Somehow like Mike came up. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons, yeah, yeah, that's Who right. is also in Like Mike. Who's in that new Charlie Kaufman movie that I can't remember the name of still. Because it's obscure. Mm. But. Yeah. Yeah, can't wait to watch that. Yeah. The new Netflix. Yeah. And maybe we'll buy the Hilary Duff Christmas album this year. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we will. Or we'll download it on Spotify. 2020 has been a weird year, so... Yeah, maybe we'll, Who knows what's in store? <laughs> maybe we'll buy the Hillary Duff Christmas album. Yeah. I didn't even know there was one. So yeah, oh yeah. I used her. to listen to that on repeat. What happened to the... We're not even talking about the thing, but... What happened to the Lizzie McGuire reboot? Did you hear about that? When Disney Plus first jumped off, they were going <sighs> to reboot Lizzie McGuire. And then it was like... Lizzie was some 30-something who was sort of like... Ugh, it was not great, and they were kind of like, yeah, we're not going to do I don't that. even remember hearing about that. <laughs> Maybe, like, really vaguely on the periphery of my, you know, uh, world or consciousness that, that existed, but I don't remember it. Um, but I, I don't remember, know. I remember they couldn't get Gordo involved, and mm. I was like, I'm out. That's too bad. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah, I'm out. Um... And beans. And beans. Oh, it sounds like they got beans. Well, wasn't beans even Stevens though? Beans oh was yeah. Even Stevens. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Excuse My me. bad. Yeah. Excuse me. Gordo's curly hair. That? I'd love to see an even Stevens reboot with yeah, Shia LaBeouf. Shia, Shia LaBeouf still playing <laughs> yeah. whatever his name. Yeah. Oh my God. Do you remember the Even Stevens movie? Sorry, pause. But Shia LaBeouf's character's name was Lewis. I just I remember his sister. And Ren. Gwen. Ren. 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 Um. Oh wait, sorry. I just want to say, uh, in the in the vein of Lizzie McGuire and Even Stevens, <laughs> I was talking with uh, one of my colleagues the other day about Cadet Kelly. Did you ever see Cadet Kelly? I was aware of Cadet okay. Kelly. I never actually saw it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, a, I would wonder how a, that. I'm more of how a that hands guy. Up, or how that. Um, how that stands up oh. today. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure. Not hands up. Has it aged well? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm trying Yikes. to say. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. But, um... Couldn't tell you. So, tell me a story. So, I'd like <laughs> to tell you a story about 
a 17-foot Boston whaler named the Sarah Gel. Now, Boston okay. Whaler is your typical skiff boat. It has an outboard motor. And okay. It's kind of... Cool. I just, 17 foot whaler was to me like a person. So good, good to know be, that it's not a 17 foot frankly, person. Frankly, that would be a way more interesting story if there was a 17 foot whaler man person. <laughs> no, a whaler boat. is a boat. This okay. is a story about a boat. Cool. That tells you how much I know about boats. Well, I mean, um, me too, before I heard the story. And I hadn't heard this story until about four or five days ago. I've never heard of this. Okay. And it is one of the stranger disappearances and then subsequent appearance mm. of a boat. Um, where the Sarah Joe ultimately ended up being found and the circumstances around its discovery are what makes this story kind of so mysterious. Cool. Um, so there were, a, real up top, I just want to mention there are a couple of sources that I use for this. There's a documentary, both of these are YouTube videos, um, a documentary by a channel called Jazz Alley TV, all one word. It's called Hannah Remembers Her Sons. Um, it feels like a really low budget kind of TV, PBS sort of public access documentary, yep. but it has a lot of great interviews with first-hand sources, like people who were actually out on the water that day that saw the Sarah Joe sort of going out into the channel, and like a lot of friends of these guys that were on the boat. Um, so it's a it's a really it was a really invaluable source um, for this story, and there's another one. Uh, a video by a really new YouTube channel called Mr. Ballin, uh, okay. Mr. B-A-L-L-E-N, um, and he had just some interesting stuff that the other one didn't cover. And there's an also, there's also a really sort of brief clipping that was in the LA Times in 1998 um, that covered this really quick that I used a couple things from. Okay. Is that when the story took place? Night the, or like... I'll You'll get, get into it. Um, this so it takes place in Hana, which is a community on Maui, the okay. big island in Hawaii. Uh, and the boat disappeared February eleventh, nineteen seventy nine. Okay. Um. So we're starting the morning of February eleventh, nineteen seventy nine. Everyone says they woke up that morning and. Hana Bay was as flat as a lake. That's what everyone says in these documentaries. Like, it was flat okay. as a lake. And Weird. that's significant because in the months preceding February 11th, it had basically been the rainy season, and it had been torrential downpouring, terrible days for months on end, a lot of people say. And basically, February 11th was the, was the first really beautiful, sunny, calm day in a long time. Um, so these guys, and I'll get to who they were, these guys basically decided to go fishing that morning. Um, okay. It was Peter Hanchett, 
who was 31. He was a plumber. Benjamin, who everyone calls Benny Kalama, who was 38. And he was a construction tile setter, they say. Okay. Which I feel like is like sheetrock, like hanging sheetrock. I'm not really positive what a construction tile setter is, but... Um, yeah, maybe sort of a niche yeah, job. Right, craft, exactly. Yeah, very. Craft. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, um, Patrick Wozner, who was 26. Scott Mormon, who was 27. Those two were carpenters. Mm-hmm. And then Ralph Malak. Sorry. <laughs> Folks, I apologize. There's a lot of Hawaiian words and names in this story that I am going to butcher, and that is just the first of them. Ralph Malakaini, I believe is his name. And he was 27 and he ran a local kind of trucking company. Mm-hmm. He would like truck dirt to construction sites. So all these guys knew each other from the construction industry. They were sort of, they all did different jobs on the same house and kind of got to know each other. Sure. And Ralph Malakaini, he was the... Uh, I feel like you're saying that well. I, I'm going for it. But... Um, his twin brother was the owner of the boat, the Sarah Joe. Okay. Um. So there are five people? There were five people on this boat altogether. And that's kind of another part of this story is that for a 17 foot Boston whaler, that's. That's a lot. That's a lot of people to have on that small of a boat, especially in seas that got rough yeah Um, yeah i wonder what the max capacity of that boat was (laughs) you may tell me (laughs) yeah well well what's also interesting is this boat actually specifically had commercials ran that claimed it was unsinkable and actually they did demonstrations in the commercials where they sawed the boat into pieces and showed that the individual pieces would float on the water because they were like built in a certain way famous um, last words <laughs> well we'll see we'll see um, we'll see that the the boat actually did not sink so wow okay. uh, they their claims were uh, proven true wow. but ulu helikahi who was benny kalama's wife she has a really interesting recounting of that morning because she was basically there when they decided to go fishing. So Benny had a job with Peter that day. Benny, who was the construction tile setter, and Peter, who was the plumber. They were basically working on the same house that morning. Ralph, who owned the boat, came by the house that morning and asked Benny if he wanted to go fishing. Because it was such a beautiful day. And Benny basically said, oh, no, I can't. I got this job with Peter today. Like, I can't go. And Ralph basically said, okay, no problem. I'll go down and find two other guys. So Ralph went down to the beach to find two other guys who could go fishing with him. Peter comes to the house to meet Benny for the job. And Benny's like, hey, you know, Ralph came over earlier and said he wanted to go fishing and Peter is basically like look forget that job let's go fishing (laughs) that's what like any smart man yeah I mean and Ulu Helikahi says that Peter said look forget that job but I'm sure he was like 
fuck that job. <laughs> Let's get drunk and go fishing. So they go down to the beach to find Ralph. And by that time, Ralph had already found Patrick Wozner and Scott Mormon to come with him on the fishing trip. Okay. So now there's five guys collected. It's Patrick, Scott, Ralph, who owns the boat, Benny Kalama, and Peter Hanchett. And Ralph, who owns the boat, is basically like, also, fuck it, let's all go fishing. Mm -hmm. So the five of them set out and go fishing. Okay. Was Ralph someone's brother, you said? Ralph's brother actually owned the boat. Okay. Was the legal owner of the boat. His twin brother, I believe his name was Robert. Okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, cool. That, that's, Robert yeah, Malachini, that makes sense. Okay. the twin brother, brother of Ralph, owned the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the boat, the Sarah Joe, was actually named after their parents. Hmm. Sarah and Joe? Sarah was their mother, and Joe was their father. Nice. That's sweet. It's sweet, but it's also sad. Yep, and, sad. And, and, you know? Yeah. So this Hana Bay, mm-hmm. while it was teeming with fish and absolutely abundant in terms of like quality of fish and everything, it was considered too dangerous for commercial fishing. It just like wasn't worth it, essentially. The, the trade winds coming in from Kona and the channel itself called the Alanui Haha Channel, it was so treacherous, essentially, that people just wouldn't chance it. It wasn't worth it, more or less. Um, And it was such a beautiful day, these guys decided to go for it. Mm -hmm. And they loaded up a cooler of beer. They loaded up a cooler of ice for the poo-poo. Mm-hmm. They were about to catch. That's what the locals all said. They were like, they were about to go out for a poo poo, and I would bring the beer, <laughs> and we were gonna eat the poo poo. Um, you may not know this, but if that's the case, like, was this their first time fishing in this area? Not at all. And that's what's also interesting about this story. These five guys, they were all considered experienced watermen. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of the the waterman or the waterwoman is sort of a uniquely Hawaiian thing, mm. I feel like. It's someone who's just as comfortable in the water as they are on land. Yeah. Like, just very experienced. And a lot of people say each one of these five boys could have swam from one island to the other without a problem. Like, they were just very strong swimmers, very... They grew up in the water. That's interesting. That feels like the theme of Moana, without knowing that, like, water person is um, sort of a a Hawaiian um, cultural idea, like Moana. I don't know that it is. I mean, I think people who just grow up in coastal towns and stuff, you're probably considered a waterman if you live your life in the water. But it does seem like... Uh, I just say uniquely Hawaiian and like I've heard it in those contexts yeah. way more than I have in other right. you know, regions. Yeah. Well, um, Moana, like Moana herself is, is um, and her grandmother are yeah. like called by the water, but her parents are afraid of the water. Well, so, yeah, and I think, you know, that I, sort I of think specifically theme. It's, it's not necessarily like 
a water person theme. Being drawn to the water, it's actually like... These guys, it seems like they spent as much time in the water as they did on land, almost. Yeah. Like, they were just so comfortable yeah. with it. They were amphibious, almost, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. They that does seem like a very... Incredibly strong swimmers, incredibly, incredibly uh, experienced fishermen. They've been boating hundreds of times, and this looked like the perfect morning. Like, mm-hmm. there it Everyone says the the bay was flat as a lake. Mm-hmm. Which seems to me ominous, but maybe if you're Hawaiian, and we will um, come to see, less, is the proverbial, so. <laughs> it is the proverbial calm before the storm. Yeah. is what we are about to see. Um, so, uh, so the boat, the Sarah Joe, was equipped with an 85 horsepower outboard motor, and then a 15 horsepower backup motor that they could extend down into the water and sort of steer by hand mm-hmm. um the boys and and everyone everyone in the documentaries also calls them the boys okay <laughs> uh, that's why I keep, that's why i keep using that term they all say the boys uh you know the boys we saw them go around the channel and then we lost sight of them and i never saw them again mm. oh, oh the boys you know that morning it was flat as a <laughs> Somewhere between Hawaiian and South Dakotan. It's sort of Minnesota meets Miss Cleo. Okay. My my Hawaiian. Yeah. um, I should have, I also, I should have, uh, I should have called Thomas and asked if he knew about this story. Mm, Um, Yeah. Yeah. The general manager where Nikki and I uh, worked in Washington State, he's a... He's a native. native native Hawaiian, yeah, and I'm I'm sure he knows this story. This is sort of a legendary story that gets told now to like all the youth of Hawaii, basically, to hmm. sort of ward them from. Not everything is what you see. You hmm. know? It's sort of even though the the ocean looks flat as a lake, there could be yeah terrible things hiding underneath. Brewing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the boys set off from Hana Bay and they go into the Alanui Haha Channel, which is between Maui and the Big Island of Hawaii. And it's, it's basically considered the roughest waters in Hawaii, in all of the Hawaiian, right. uh, meat region. Um, and another thing that's significant at this time, because ha- Hana Bay was so, um, there were about a thousand people total in the town at the time. Mm-hmm. So because it was so sp- scarcely populated, there were no TV or radio weather reports for that part of the island. Mm-hmm. They were more to the west of Maui, um, the more populated regions. So the boys also didn't have any access to weather reports and essentially all the locals in the island would just play the weather by eye is what they would say like you would look out on the on the horizon on the perimeter and see if there was any white caps or anything and like kind of yeah just play it by eye um sounds like a much more accurate way to play it than by ear as far as you know i would think so and and that's the thing that's really interesting about the documentary i saw the the real quick like tv report the jazz alley tv um thing the sort of local documentary is 
the these these guys that were fishermen in the region, like that were local and saw the Sarah Joe that day, they all talk about the ocean in such a like artistic way. Like there's an artistry mm-hmm. to reading what the ocean is going to do later in the day that like you don't see yet, and and it's really interesting to see just their perceptions and just that they're experts of the ocean. Hmm. You know, it's, yeah, that's it's really interesting. interesting. Um, so. John Hanchett was out on the water that day, who is Peter Hanchett's father. Hmm, okay. Okay, so one of the boys on the boat. John Hanchett was out on the water that day. He knew the wind was turning, and he headed back to shore. On his way in, he passed the Sarah Joe on their way out to sea. And he, like, waved at them, all the boys waved back, and they kept heading out. A tourist who was sitting on the beach, later saw the Sarah Joe on its way out to sea and noticed it stop, kind of like stall and like bob in the water for a second while it was like losing ground. And then it kicked back on and continued in their original direction, but really slowly. And the tourist said that leaves from behind him in the trees were like whipping onto the beach so hard that he decided to call it like he was done. He wasn't going to sit out there anymore. But a lot of people think that that was the Sarah Joe's original motor, the 85 horsepower, cutting out and dying when it bobbed in the water and lost ground. Oh, wow. And then they put the 15 horsepower back up into the water and start it again, but, like, much slower. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but it's, um, 15 horsepower is is not nearly as powerful as 85. That's exactly what people say is that a 15 horsepower motor in this storm swell was no Yeah, that's not going to help you at all. Was no match, yeah, for what they were about to encounter. Mm. Um... Yikes. So basically, the wind suddenly changed and pushed out to sea towards the channel, and a huge storm swell was kicked up. Um, the boys, especially, essentially, there were four boats that launched from Hana Bay that morning. Three of the boats that launched returned to the bay. The one that didn't was the Sarah Joe and these five boys that were aboard. So a search was conducted that afternoon in this massive storm swell, but the ocean was so bad, I mean, they couldn't see anything. People report there was 40-foot waves and up to 50-mile-per-hour winds. Locals say it was the the worst storm they had seen in 50 years. One man on that documentary I, I mentioned... Looking at the ocean that day, he said, you could hardly, quote, you could hardly see any blue water. It was all white water, like a sheet, like a sheet. I haven't seen it like that before, unquote. Wow. So, I mean, looking out at the bay, he said it looked all white. Just full of white caps, yeah. Just torrential. But these guys... A lot of locals still took their boats out and wanted to look for these boys. And uh, one of these men, 
who went out looking, one of the locals, was a man named John Naughton. He was having coffee in the galley of his research vessel, uh, basically that afternoon, and he hears banging on the side, on the hull of his ship, essentially, and he runs outside, and it's John Hanchett, the man, Peter Hanchett's father, mm -hmm. who passed them on the way in and waved to them. Mm -hmm. He is begging for John Naughton's help and tries to enlist him in the search for the boys because John Naughton is on a 65-foot research vessel, basically, mm -hmm. an enormous ship. And John Naughton is in another, like, 17-foot Boston Whaler, like, tiny boat just ripping through the... Oh, that's right. John Hanchett is in the 17-foot, and John Naughton is on the... Yes, I'm sorry. No, I, you're I fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, John Naughton is the researcher having coffee on the yeah the sixty five foot sixty five foot research yeah. vessel. John Hanchett, John Hanchett is the father. Is the father coming back on a little on a little on boat, his own small smaller boat, boat ripping yeah. through these crazy storms trying to look for his son okay. who hasn't turned up yet. Naughton. It's okay. I'm here for you. I, I, I so appreciate it. Naughton, the guy on the sixty five foot research vessel, he is sent so. <laughs> essentially Naughton on the 65 foot research vessel I got it yeah there's that's a tongue twister he speaks to the skipper and basically convinces him to go look for these boys um, must be convincing Naughton says I'm not really sure what this means uh, I'm sure you know someone else sailors might sailors and people <laughs> more familiar with the water than I will know. Um, but Naughton says they were taking green water over the bow of their vessel and could hardly see a thing. Which, I mean, you know, I don't know exactly what it means, but it sounds pretty fucking serious. Mm. Um, green water over the bow of a 65-foot research vessel sounds, you know, pretty substantial. Yeah. Uh, and you can Maybe imagine... Maybe it's seaweed? What, well, I would just say, like, how powerful the water is. Like, if it's green instead of, like, I would imagine hmm. there's, like, grades, like, blue, green, white. If it's white, it's, like, the spray, almost. Yeah. But if it's green, it's still more powerful. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I, I don't know. Someone tell us. Someone write in. Um, but I just think you can imagine, if that was happening to a 65-foot research vessel, imagine what it was happen what was happening to the Sarah Joe. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty serious. Um, in the next few days, people say the ocean was nothing but whitecaps. The storm basically continued and... For days. For days and did not allow a search. Um... And essentially, the boys were considered lost at sea and mm -hmm. never to be seen again. No trace of them was found. Nine years later. Okay. In 1988, John Naughton, the man on the 65-foot research vessel who was enlisted to look for the boys on the day they went missing is surveying six uninhabited atolls 
for the Republic of the Marshall Islands. What's an atoll? An atoll is like smaller than an island. Mm. A-T-O-L-L? A-T-O-L-L, yes. Um, I'm not exactly... I'm not exactly sure on the like dynamic specifications sure. of what con, con, what an atoll is considered, but yeah, um, it is smaller than an island, but it still has dry land mm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's see. So he's so Naughton is surveying six uninhabited atolls for the Republic of the Marshall Islands. He comes around one specific atoll called the Taongi Atoll, T-A-O-N-G-I, Taongi Atoll. He spots a ship on the shore of this atoll. Mm-hmm. And these are obviously like off the coast of off the coast of Hawaii, but there obviously are multiple coasts. So, like the coast of Hawaii. These, the this collection of six atolls. I should have mentioned this before. Is two thousand three hundred miles away from the Hawaiian Islands. It's a good ways away. Okay. Not in spots this boat on the shore of the Taongi Atoll. On the bow of the boat, he sees an H-A in its registration, and he says, I know that H-A means it was registered in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And he says, I wonder if this is that boat that we were looking for almost 10 years ago. The Sarah Joe. He approaches... And he sees the S, the H, the J. He sort of puts it together. This mm-hmm. is the Sarah Joe that mm-hmm. they're looking for. And he, you know, the boat is on the shore. It's not completely intact. It's yeah. a little bit run down either from water damage or just like erosion over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean a decade. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's been almost a decade since it uh, showed up. Yeah. So one of the explorers on Naughton's team, basically, is a little bit further into the jungle. He's off the shore. He's already Mm. gone, like, further into the sort of quote-unquote jungle of this atoll. It's like, you know, it's like sparse palm trees. It's not a full jungle. Well, yeah, yeah. It's it's a very small, you know, not even island. I mean, it's it's a very small piece of land that this boat has washed up on. This explorer basically calls Naughton over and is like, hey, I think I found something over here. Oh, no. The guys walk over there, and there's this cairn of rocks, sort of a a mound, a buildup Mm -hmm. of carefully placed kind of uh, stones. And at the... At the top of this cairn of rocks is a crudely fashioned cross made of driftwood. Hmm. Protruding from the cairn of rocks is a clearly visible and recognizable human jawbone. 
Naughton Yikes. says he picks up the jawbone and can see fillings in the teeth. Ooh. That it's very clear exactly what it is. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They uncover the rocks, they take the rocks away, and they find more bones. About half of a skeleton altogether. Wow. Private detectives and other detectives are sent to the site, and it's determined these remains are Scott Mormon, one of the five men who was on the Sarah Joe that morning. Mm. As I said, private detectives come to the island. Dive teams are hired by the families of the of the missing boys, but they find nothing else on the island. Um, the dive team finds the outboard motor, the 85 horsepower motor, wedged between some coral not far from the boat, uh, and they find some more bones on the beach that are Scott Mormons. So they've mm. drifted a little bit further away from his grave for lack of a better yeah. term but that is all that they find they they find a couple of scott mormon's bones and they find the outboard motor and absolutely nothing else um what is more mysterious uh, about this story is that experts have sort of surveyed the tide at that time and like wind direction and everything and they've sort of estimated that if the boys if the Sarah Joe was to float from Hana Bay to the Taeyongi Atoll it would take three months it would take a total of three months for them to get there mm. six years after the Sarah Joe went missing so the Sarah Joe went missing in 1979 in 1985, the Marshall Islands conducted a survey of the Taeyongi Atoll, mm-hmm. a pretty thorough survey of going on land and, you know, plotting it, mm-hmm. essentially. The, the Sarah Joe was not ever reported as being seen. They, it, it didn't. Wow. Essentially, it's, it wasn't there. Yeah. I wow. Imagine. That's wild. It was not there in 1985, six years after it went missing, when experts say it would have taken three months to drift to that island. Yeah, that is wild. Another thing that people say is like the way into this collection of atolls, essentially, like it's sort of, it's a very narrow inlet between these like coral reefs. It's almost impossible that a boat would just drift there by itself kind of Hmm. like they sort of say it's just so narrow and you would have to kind of navigate into this collection kind of it's it's just virtually impossible just a lot of people don't believe that it happened right that it just like happened upon there like someone brought it there well that's that's the That's theory. Kind of the theory. Yeah. Um, I failed to mention that another thing they found with Scott Mormon's bones underneath the cairn of rocks, basically on top of his skeleton, mm-hmm. were these papers. Very short, about like half the length of 
a paperback book. You know what I'm saying? Kind of short in height. Okay. And in the middle of each of these papers, they had a square of sort of like tin foil. They were very unique and very weird. John Naughton, the guy who found the bones, had never seen anything like it before. Hmm. It was this little kind of rectangle of paper, and directly in the center was this square of foil paper, what looked like tin foil. It was kind hmm. of like silver. Um, Interesting. These were later determined to be Chinese burial papers. So oh. essentially a Chinese custom is someone is a, a person is buried with these little squares of tinfoil paper and they're mm-hmm. lit on fire and they are more or less c- currency for the afterlife. They're kind of like wow. That's that's sort of the ritual as far as I understand it. Um, that's sort of my crude understanding of, of the ritual. But mm. These were unlit. Mm, they were just the squares of paper so now we're going to get into theories of what people think happened to Mm -hmm. the boys because obviously the first question is who buried Scott Mormon was it one of the four other boys on the boat and they somehow survived on these atolls. And people say you could feasibly, for a little while at least, actually, you could survive on these atolls, these tiny islands. Like they had plenty of coconuts and these coconut crabs and obviously hundreds of fish. Um, you know, I mean, reasonably you could actually probably survive on one of these islands. So Scott Mormon's family believes that he reached the island alive and swam to shore only to die from lack of water. Wow. And they're angry that the U.S. Coast Guard stopped searching for the missing boys five days after they disappeared. Mm -hmm. So the Coast Guard did a full air and water search enlisted helicopters and like F-16 jets with infrared and shit like they they were doing everything they could I think and but after five days they called off the search and essentially right. said they're lost at sea we and you said before them. too that the storm raged for a few days afterwards so it you did. know those yeah. those first couple days of searching I'm sure were not yeah. uh, say maybe not futile but you know people uh, say they couldn't see 50 feet in front of their yeah. boats so I mean yeah it was you know even if they were people say even if they were out there they probably wouldn't have seen them right because another thing about the Sarah Joe is that it was painted like light blue on the outside and had a white interior. So it just looks like water. It was impossible. It to just see. looks like water. It was absolutely yeah. impossible to okay pick it out. Cool. You know, even yeah. uh, people blends people in with the sky, exactly. blends in with the exactly. water. Yeah, totally. impossible. Yeah, hundred percent. So we're getting into the theories. Like I say, Scott Mormon's family believes firmly believes that he made it to shore alive and then died of dehydration, more or less. 
what I have to question about that belief is where was he for almost 10 years? Do you know what I mean? Like, they, so they weren't, the, the Sarah Joe was not on the beach right. six years right. in 1985, yeah. six years after it went missing. Yeah. They, they were not found or reported on the survey, which yeah. doesn't mean it wasn't there necessarily. Right. It just means it wasn't reported as yeah. being there. Yeah. And but doesn't I would mean... imagine if, if a thorough survey is being done of the island and they find a crude grave. Yeah. I would imagine that would be reported, but maybe I'm wrong. Right. I, mean, I, I don't know. Well, but... one of the things I'm thinking is maybe... The Sarah Joe wasn't there, but maybe Scott Spotty was there, and the Sarah Joe was like washed ashore there, or was even like brung or brought ashore there by a different uh, person, whether it was a member of the original crew or. Just someone who found it and towed it in over there, or something like that. But and I know the the crude grave is obviously a a a tell or a giveaway. But I mean, you know, I don't I, I don't know much about surveyors or what that job it consists of. But I imagine that like surveying the atolls is could be like a job of monotony and sort of routine where you just go and you look around and if there's like a pile of rocks look up pile of rocks you know not nothing i agree to i just think a pile of rocks with a cross at the head of it yeah i mean that's pretty distinct i would say yeah. but it's also sort of interesting i think that they put a cross on it in that people think that because there was a cross put on it they think someone of the Christian faith must have buried Scott. Mm. And others like John Naughton think that, so essentially they did find with his bones, they found tufts of blonde hair mm. and Scott had blonde hair. He was a white guy from California actually mm -hmm. who moved to Hana um, in his twenties. Mm-hmm. And Naughton thinks, and, and other people think, because he had blonde hair, whoever buried him Assumed just he was recognized Christian? that he was a white European-looking person yeah. who maybe had to be a Christian yeah. because of that, and yeah. they gave him the traditional, quote-unquote, Christian burial mm -hmm. because they were just trying to be respectful. Mm -hmm. um, but here's john naughton's theory of what happened naughton again was the man on the 65 foot research vessel initially who then was doing the survey of the atolls in right. 89 who found the sarah joe yes. with the other guys who found scott mormon's grave blah 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 and i do want to ask mm -hmm. um is john naughton's like surveying of these islands for a different group and or different purpose than the surveys in 1985? It was. So the, in 85, the survey was conducted by the Republic of Ma of the Marshall Islands, mm -hmm. the, essentially the government of that group of islands. 
in 89, Naughton was actually surveying different atolls as prospective nature preserves for mm. sea turtles and uh, I think like a, a, a species of like giant oyster mm. or something like that. Interesting. Um, so he was sort of doing like conservation work yeah. in 89, whereas in 85, the Marshall Islands were literally just trying to see like what they had yeah. on their hands, I think, okay. trying to map yeah. the area. Yeah, a remap or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. So John Naughton's theory is that essentially poachers from either Taiwan or China found Mormon's body with the boat. He thinks that Scott Mormon lashed himself to the boat, tied himself to the boat so that he wouldn't drift away like the other four boys. Essentially, wow. he thinks he was the last man standing, saw the other four guys get washed into sea or something like that, and he lashed himself to the boat so that at least he would be found with the boat. Yeah. He thinks that Taiwanese or Chinese poachers, fishermen looking for sea turtles or, again, that rare species of giant clam to eat. Mm. They found the Sarah Joe with Scott's body in it, lashed to the side of it, right? Mm-hmm. They found the, the boat and Scott's body. They towed it into shore themselves. Mm. And like I said, because he had blonde hair, they sort of assumed he was Christian and gave him that Christian burial. And that would also sort of explain why he was found with those Chinese burial papers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Those little squares with the tinfoil in the middle almost. Yep, and also explain how if the boat and the body were not there in 1985, how they would obviously would now be there at a later date and also Scott's body uh, as as deteriorated and sort of um, decomposed as it was, because well, if know, that's also the thing, is that when Naughton came across the bones in 1989, a lot of the people on his team remarked that they were not bleached, the bones were not white, mm. they still had kind of residue for lack of a better mm. term. They were sort of brown yeah. and still had, were had in the like process body on of decomposition it. <laughs> almost. Yeah. yeah. They were not like sun bleached like they had been okay. there for years and okay. years. You know what I mean? Yeah. They weren't like bleached white like yeah. you see in the movies or something. Right. But they had been in the water. It's possible. You know, that obviously But that, I think impact. that still just speaks to how recently he must have been buried. Yeah. And what... I think Naughton's theory makes the most sense that probably poachers found the boat and towed it in. And he actually says in that, uh, again, that documentary I referenced earlier, he says, I think it was a pretty kind act, Mm. actually, Mm -hmm. that these guys, you know, buried this corpse. Right. And he essentially says they didn't report it because they were poachers. They were there illegally fishing for illegal game. Um, and that's why they didn't report it. But that, I think, the the question I have still is, where was the Sarah Joe 
and Scott Mormon for nine years mm-hmm. until 1989. Experts say he should have floated to the island in three months. Yeah. If yeah he was to get there naturally, sort of. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm still left with just where was that boat? Yeah. For nine years. Yeah. That nine years is sort of sort of totally unaccounted for. They just have no idea where it was, and I yeah. think that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, just definitely. Where was this boat? And Scott Mormon, whether he lashed himself to the boat or not, I like being out there in the beating sun of the Pacific Ocean day after day for nine years, you would imagine his skeleton would be pretty, you know, bleached and sunburnt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, it's just very, yeah, Yeah. I don't, I don't know what happened. And no one does. Right. Yeah, I mean, I just like, first of all, how long does it take someone to die of starvation? And I think... I think you die of dehydration before you die of starvation. Water's more important than food. Yeah. You can, well, you can go without food for longer than you right. can go Well, they had water. a bunch of ice on the boat, apparently. Yeah, yeah you're so right. Like, you're right about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so how yeah, long absolutely. did it take for him to, I guess, die? But that's the thing like, you about can this storm. last for a year or two, frankly. And if there's just no... Um, you know, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, um, could, I'm, I'm yeah, saying he could possibly... Okay. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, There's I don't no know. In the, in I don't the hot know. Sun, you couldn't last for a month on a cooler ice. Yeah, I, in, I, in the fucking Pacific I Ocean. wouldn't. There's no way. Uh, speculate or postulate that I know yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, like, like we said, we're I'm no like, waterman. Yeah. No water woman, but I listened to a story the other day about a woman who was like starved and and dehydrated and beaten, and she lived for. Five years in those conditions. So, you know, like, I just have no idea how long one or maybe a couple of them could have lasted. And if they, like, where, like you said, kind of where they took refuge for however long on a boat that probably didn't work, right? Didn't have a motor that worked. So, I mean, to drift on at sea is probably... uh, not the best option so if they had another option they probably would have taken it and then yeah who knows how things change in over even five years the tides and bringing you back out to sea if you found a refuge somewhere on an island and then how many people just rode by a desolate half boat and we're like well that's not my problem you know and then finally that's sort of another thing that people say is that just the the sarah joe might have been on that island for all we know it it was on the island during that survey in 1985 by the marshall islands and it just wasn't reported right yeah they're just like oh abandoned boat no no biggie i don't need to not the first time not the last that i've seen yeah little whaler on the shore you know yeah crashed and whatever but yeah i think it is a as i said it's it's a story that i think is is 
told a lot in Hawaii these days to young people going out on the water by themselves. You know, it's the legend of the Sarah Joe is a prevailing mystery, I think, in Hawaii. And um, a lot of people, I mean, you just, I, I feel really bad for the families, you know, of course. Of course. I mean, you and know, like I, think, no I think they said Benny Kalama had like, like four kids mm. and these guys were, you know, young guys in their thirties and twenties, just working construction, you know, yeah, working, working a hard day and coming home and drinking beer together. You know, yeah. they were good friends and it's just really, it's very sad that they just fell victim to this storm that they didn't see coming. You know, mm -hmm. as I said, it was the proverbial kind of calm before the storm. Like everyone says the bay looked like a lake that morning. Yeah. And it just crazy. It could it couldn't have turned any worse four hours from that time, you know. Mm -hmm. The Sarah Joe set off at ten AM and by two PM it was an absolute torrential mess. They just never saw it coming. And yeah. I think what's really, what really prevails about the mystery is just that the boat was eventually found. And mm, mm -hmm. Scott Mormon, one of the five men, was found buried on the island. And yeah. Who did that? We yeah. still don't know, you know? So. Yeah. That really is, is uh, an astonishing, like, series of events. And... The fact that only one body was found, yeah. but then also it can be a lost at sea story. The fact that a body was found is is miraculous, sort yeah. of in its own right. Well, and so. that's that's why a lot of people think that Scott must have tied himself to the boat is because the other four boys. It seems pretty clear they were washed off yeah. the boat, you know, or even some people think. In the Alanui Haha channel there, islands are really close to each other. And mm. some people think some of the boys actually jumped off the boat when it was getting too crazy and tried to, tried swim, to swim to one of the islands, actually, yeah. and just were, again, never seen again. Four of these boys were never seen again. Which mm. is very sad. And I, I just want to leave it with a quote from Michael Wozner. I believe is his name. He's the brother of Patrick Wozner. And he says, quote, It's all speculation. Everyone has their own thoughts on it. The thing is that they didn't come back. They're gone. Unquote. Yeah. That is what we're left True. with. True. You know? Yep. These boys never came back. They never came back. And what happened to them after that fateful February 11th? It's pretty much it's all speculation. Yeah, all up for speculation. And again, the fact that they found the boat allows for speculation beyond just like lost. Yeah, but, exactly. I mean, lost and then found mm -hmm. almost a decade later with one of the crew members buried close by. It was just very. Well. That's the disappearance and subsequent mysteri mysterious appearance <laughs> of the Sarah Joe. Well. What do you think? 
Um, I'm shocked. Um, that's a super interesting um, and very mysterious story. Um, I've certainly never heard of the Sarah Joe before. And yeah, just an interesting uh, sto- sort of shipwreck story because there was a shipwreck found, but. Um, and that's what I think what's interesting is it's not if the boat had just disappeared and never been seen again I think that's not as weird as the fact that it showed up later yeah. 2300 miles away with one of the members buried close by you know I mean, right. a 17 foot little skiff going out into terrible weather never seen again it's like you can reasonably surmise that it went down mm-hmm. you know but the fact that this boat was found yeah you know and again the commercials said it was unsinkable i'm know? just gonna say a, a, a tribute to its mechanics <laughs> yeah. you know to its its maker that it was unsinkable yeah and you know re uh I just think, resurfaced, even though it never was, you know, under the surface, more than likely. Um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the, like John Naughton said, they're taking green water over the bow of their 65-foot yeah. ship. I mean, imagine what was happening to that little little boat, you know. And I just think the fact that it was named Sarah Joe after his mom and dad, like, yeah, that's just such a heartbreaker you know but yeah i find that i find more comfort in that than sadness myself but um for uh the son anyways of of those uh of those parents um ralph 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 was his son and robert was the boat owner exactly so ralph and robert were twin brothers ralph was the one on the boat yeah so for ralph to sort of have gone down uh with his with his parents uh yeah i think you're right you know there's there's something nice about that um it's a poignant image yeah for sure but that's the story of peter hanchett Ralph Malachini, Benny Kalama, Scott Mormon, and Patrick Wozner, the crew of the Sarah Joe, who went missing February 11th, 1979 from Hana, Maui, Hawaii. What are you thinking of doing next week, Nick? It's a secret. You'll have to find out next week. I'm not going to tell you. I'm still waffling between two ideas. Oh, so you don't know is why it's a secret. It's a secret to you as well. It's a secret to everyone. (laughs) Well. So we'll find out next week. We'll see you next week. What you think of the Sarah Jo mystery and any theories um, you may have. Write us and be nice. I did my best with pronunciations. You did a great job. I appreciate it. Congratulations. Hear you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye, Owen. Bye.
folks, thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Nickel and Oboe podcast. If you like what you heard, tweet us at Nickel and Oboe. That's N-I-C-K-E-L-A-N-D-O-B-O-E. And let us know. Let us know your theories. There are a lot of theories out there. And I'd love to know. I mean, who knows? Maybe, look, maybe aliens left these <laughs> burial papers with tinfoil in the middle. We, 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 folks, we don't know. We, so we don't know. I mean, the... let me know. I'm open to all theories. And, uh, let us know if you've ever met a 17 foot whaler before. Please. Because I, I, I want to know that story. I want to tell that story. Um, I implore you. <laughs> tweet us at Nickel and Oboe. Uh, or drop us a line at uh, Nickel and Oboe. N-I-C-K-E-L-A-N-D-O-B-O-E at gmail.com. We want to make some friends. Make friends. But... Maybe. The right ones. Let the right ones in? Let the right ones in, but then let them out by <laughs> by 6 p.m. <laughs> I'm done. So Follow me. Owen, a.k.a. Obo. I'm at Owen is the cat on Twitter. You can find me at Pumped Up Nick. That's Pumped Up N. I-K on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again. We hope to hear from you soon and uh, tune in next week for TBD Topic. Bye.